Welcome to the ESI Ninja podcast. I'm your host and the original ESI Ninja, Sarah Skeens. I've been in the e-discovery industry for over 10 years now, and over the course of my career, I have had the opportunity to meet some really incredible individuals, and I've gotten to work in a variety of areas in data. Getting to know and learn from some of the top thought leaders in our industry has been an exciting experience. And on this podcast, I'd really like to share that opportunity with you. We will be speaking with the thought leaders and innovators in data, getting a chance to learn and to grow and meet the most interesting minds out there. So sit back, relax, and let's enter the Data Dojo. The thoughts and opinions of all participants on the show are that of the individuals and do not reflect the thoughts or opinions of their employers. Hi everyone, welcome to our new episode on the ESI Ninja podcast. For this episode, I'm gonna be talking with an old friend and colleague, Hunter McMahon, the Director of Data Analytics at IDS. We're going to be talking about structured data and its impact in e-discovery. Hunter has been doing some really interesting work with structured data, so we're gonna dig in and explore the basics and how we can use structured data in e-discovery. As always, it's a great pleasure to be here with Hunter McMahon. Thank you again, Hunter, for taking time out of your day to come and talk to me about structured data. No problem. Hunter and I have worked together for, what, too long. four years now? That's too long. That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, and some reason, I'm working with him again. <laughs> we question your judgment. Um, so Hunter's on about two hours of sleep. I just trekked up from Richmond, Virginia to Washington, D.C. in a foot of snow. So I'm on about two hours of sleep. So we'll see how this conversation goes today. Excellent. <laughs> so uh, Hunter, to get everything started off, we always start with a little bit about you and how you got into e-discovery. Sure. So I am the Director of Data Analytics at IDS. Among many things, I spend a lot of my time focused on structured data and structured data sources and analyzing that information across a myriad of devices, right? So for those of not those of you not familiar with it, a lot of underlying information that are on devices are is stored in a database. So we are pulling that information out and kind of approaching it a little bit differently than it traditionally has. Um, other than that, from IDS, I have three kiddos. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I really like coffee. That, that That's an understatement. Um, <laughs> Hunter has an IV bag permanently hooked up to his body with not just coffee, but espresso, I would. So the story I love to tell is the first time I came to visit you in Richmond, you scheduled all of our meetings around coffee breaks to make sure that I was fully caffeinated. That is very true. Okay. I found all the best spots, and I don't drink coffee. That's how dedicated I was <laughs> to this. So um, I know that you are a, uh, a recovering lawyer, but can you talk about how you got into e-discovery? Sure. So I went to both. I went to law school actually at night while I ran uh, lit support uh, and IT for a law firm during the day. So I literally sit in the trenches during the day at the firm and then go to school at night. And I made the decision uh, actually in response to the partner at the time uh, dropping a magazine from the Defense Research Institute on my desk saying, hey, I think you'd be pretty good at this. And it was this new thing called e-discovery. And originally, you know, I got started with building databases just for the firm because we didn't have a solution. And it wasn't 
hey, we spun up relativity or we spun up concordance or anything like that. Like I was building bespoke databases to handle the information in cases and start analyzing the data differently back then, um, where scanning was cutting edge technology and OCR was oh so good, uh, that then kind of just kept going. Uh, and I chose to stay on the technical side. I have far more fun um, analyzing the data than writing motions. So it's been a good ride so far. And nowadays I lock you out of my databases, so. You say that, <laughs> you say that. I have a whole environment in AWS that I get to be the administrator. But you can't of. get into mine. That's okay. <laughs> you try to do the whole content thing. And so when I need content done, I call you. Well, and so talking about content and structured data, unstructured data, a, a lot of your focus lately has been towards structured data. Um, you've kind of abandoned me over in database land for the most part, and you've been focusing a lot on working with structured data and helping folks understand that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I mentioned it at the beginning, right? Like a lot of underlying information that we're looking at, look at text messages, for example. They're stored in a database on the phone. And I think historically it would be a fair assessment to say that a lot of counsel have neglected structured data because they don't understand it. It's not what they went to law school for. Uh, it's too big. It's too expensive. I don't get it. I don't see how it can help us with our legal strategy. So maybe we get it. Maybe we don't. We leave it to last for sure. And when we get it, let's just throw it to the other side and hope that they don't figure anything out about it that we can't figure out as well. Right. Or you're flipping it over the fence to the economists or the statisticians that, you know, they have their big, bad, you know, tools and all that, that they're running their algorithms and then they give you a summary report and you hope that that's right. So over the last couple of, well, a lot of years, I guess now, uh, I've had a lot of success with leveraging data in that format. So looking at the structure of things and correlations and being able to tie different data streams together. So really understanding how the layers can come together to help tell a story. And that's the fun part. When we can start understanding something that right now there's there's no insight to, but it wasn't a matter of simply running a quick query on something, which may help, but it's a matter of understanding how to analyze and approach the data differently that allows us to give that access, to give that understanding to counsel to access the information in a way that they haven't been able to. So a recent comment from a client was, I've never seen GPS data. I've produced it in dozens of cases, never understood why and nobody's ever really used it, but now we can we can recreate days and we can recreate scenarios that we have the data for. And we can tell you when you were driving, when you made that phone call, who you made that phone call to, what they did after that, if we got the data, if we have the data, right? So being able to leverage it in that way has become fun. So a, a lot of folks, like you said, they um, they don't want to deal with structured data. They don't understand it. And in an earlier conversation we had, um, we were talking about a lot of what I do with unstructured data, but there's actually a structured piece there, especially with the metadata. And I run into the same thing where folks just want to get in, run through that unstructured data, look at that content, review it, and be done with it where looking at some of that metadata, looking at some of that structure or structure that we make out of the unstructured, we can do a lot with. And I think a really great point you made was the layering. And so if you have all of these pieces of data, how do you put them together? 
how do you make them talk to each other or make sense and tell that narrative? So the narrative part, I think, is a is another big piece that people tend to kind of gloss over because they just want to get the data, get through it, get to production and be done with it. Is that kind of what you're seeing from the structure side? Yeah. So th there's really two components, right? One is we have some clients that have seen the success of taking this approach and now are calling us pre-litigation. So now they're saying, great, we got a threat of a lawsuit or maybe it's a DOL inquiry or a CID or something like that. And it, instead of being forced into a box, they're getting proactive before they actually get the subpoena to where they're calling us and saying, hey, let's figure out what this data is telling us before we have to give it over. So let's get ahead of the game, which is a real transition of mindsets. Um, that's probably a limited category of, of folks, but it's still, it's starting to happen. So kind of like nobody would process ESI, you know, some years ago, and now they're all doing it. Like we're seeing that trend of adoption from a, I want this information and I want to be able to understand it at least. Um, I certainly think that there's, there's a better understanding primarily because of smart devices, right? So your phones and all that, that people are understanding that we live in a very connected world. And they get the fact that, okay, my phone is connected to my watch, that's connected to my email, that's connected to this, that's connected to that. And they see it in their daily experiences of how this stuff can get layered together. And when you put it into that kind of context for them to understand like your fitness data, your your, plus your diet data, plus this data, you know, and you start seeing those results that it's really they're they're accessing this kind of information on a regular basis. They just don't realize that they're accessing this kind of information. So when you make it a visual representation, when you give it to them in a UI that they don't have to learn the new database, they just need to know how to orientate themselves in the same UI. It doesn't matter what data stream or where it's coming from, right? It doesn't matter that it's coming from a complaint system or if it's coming from a hotline or if it's coming from a mobile device or a computer or whatever. Now they're comfortable because they go to the same UI. So it's like that app, like, you know, you, you use um, Apple Health, right? It can pull in a whole bunch of information yep. from a bunch of different apps. You go to one. So that's what we've done, right? We've tried to create a centralized experience to where it doesn't matter what the source is. The client's experience is very similar. They have limited amount of graphs and a limited amount of approaches that have infinite permutations so that they can be comfortable with it. It's a matter of getting them comfortable so that they, they want to access the data and they know how to leverage it. I think that that's the key. What's your favorite data source that you've pulled structured data from? Ooh, that's not fair. I stumped Hunter. This is, this is not. <laughs> something that happens often <laughs> but it's not fair because I, my favorite is not a single source my favorite is watching the layers come come together right so we talked about it a little bit it's and i'll give you the example of a financial system plus a fuel gas card plus gps data plus job tickets and understanding from that i can tell you who purchased what type of fuel to determine what car they were driving and whether or not they crossed state lines. So it's not a single source because I can go get time card data. I can go get GPS data, but that doesn't tell you the whole story. So I get very leery of single, single sources standing alone. So I, w I refuse to answer your question. <laughs> this, this is normal. <laughs> I already knew I was running into a challenge doing this podcast <laughs> and I was very excited about it. Um, 
so the and I, I think that's interesting the layering part of it because like you said I can pull time cards but what does it really tell me it tells me when somebody punched in and punched out but what happened in the in-between what's the whole story but what happens when you understand you know okay you've got emails you got phone call logs you got computer logs you got network logs you know whether or not they were on-site or off-site then you layer in their time card data then you layer in any other kind of reporting data that they they may have and when you start to look at all of that like CRM data and, and when they were accessing that now i know well maybe they worked a long day but they didn't work the hours that they reported so now they're lying on their their time card so which is it did, did you work a long day or did you not work these hours either way question don't understand the data right and, yeah. and now you get to ask some fun questions the flip side of it is though and, and everybody has to be careful it does bring out the truth so if a client has a risk or a problem it will bring that out but from my perspective that's not a bad thing. That's letting the truth come out so that they can make an informed decision. They can make a strategic change, right? So maybe they went from, we're going to fight tooth and nail for this case to, ah, shucks, we have a problem. We should probably settle. Let's start on that path, right? Let's start angling that way. And that's up to the client. That's up to counsel and that's a legal strategy. But a lot of people will want to jump to conclusions with data, right? The absence of data does not necessarily mean something. You could have legitimate reasons for not having data in a database for a given time period. You can't jump to the conclusions that that means that there was no activity. Maybe there was activity and it's not there for a specific reason. So you have to understand how these layers play together and how they can cross validate each other to truly understand it and be careful. I mean, it's, it's as much of an art as it is a science. So structured data in comparison to unstructured data, um, where you've got a lot of concepts, you have um, you know humans generating information that could have a lot of different meanings, um, and sometimes you can argue you know what something actually means um, in someone's eyes versus someone else's eyes. Where I feel like with structured data, you have a little bit more concrete evidence of how that data was generated to create a more, more thoughtful um, defense behind the facts themselves. So what are the limitations, the perceptions behind that? What do we have to watch out for when determining how to use structured data and what it really means? And is it factual? Or are there other factors that we have to consider? We have enough information to say, here's what the data represents happened. So that goes back to being careful what conclusions you start jumping to, right? I know that this phone was at that location. But how can I make sure that I was using the phone, not somebody else accidentally walked out of the office with my phone and took it down the street, right? So we have to be careful. That's where the layers come back. So did what happened on that phone during that time period? Oh, logged into Facebook, made a phone call, called my wife, you know, did X, Y, and Z, which are all patterns of practice of me. Now you're starting to remove. I can't, from a technical standpoint, say it was me on the phone necessarily, unless there's other evidence that says it was me. I can say the data represents this, and based off of an analysis of historical and trends afterwards of activity, it is consistent with the user during these time periods, which we know I had the phone. Jury, judge, mediator, whomever it is, 
you make the decision as to whether or not I had the phone. So you have to be careful on jumping those conclusions, jumping to those conclusions. But you can build such a clear picture. It's really interesting. Like the fingerprints now to unlock a phone. If you have to have a fingerprint to unlock the phone, somebody could steal your fingerprint potentially. So that's a big thing, right? On computers, on phones and all that. Do you have a password protected? Who else has that password? Is there any reason somebody else would have that password? All that kind of stuff goes to building that 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 interactive or that that story, right? That there's no there's no logical explanation that it wasn't me or there's no evidence that it wasn't me. You could say that, but you can't say it was necessarily me unless you have me on video with the phone and, and you know that that's the device. You just have to be careful. Yeah. And there's some devices, again, it's knowing how the data is created, right. where can there be something, some factor that changes, like you said, who actually created that data versus something where we can show the only way this data can be created is through X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. So there's there's a couple of presentations I do. One is the the dichotomy of data, which is kind of going through this analysis of the difference between content and context. Uh, I recently did career day at the elementary school, and you oh, got to show <laughs> visuals for second graders, right? I mean, how do you teach second graders what we do? And one of the visuals that I show them is actually the a mobile phone in three different individuals' pocket, and you can see the different gates, so the different ways that they walk based off of all the motion sensors in the phone. And that's literally a gyro in the phone that is able to say, okay, here's how you're walking versus somebody else. So there's a lot of information that lets you color a picture that you're going, there's obviously this is what it is, but from a technical standpoint, again, being careful on what conclusions you get to that aren't supported by the actual evidence. I mean, we're, we're just very careful, right? Because we're always slated for potential testimony that yep. we want to be careful that we're not misrepresenting the data. The data says this. So obviously Sarah was there. No, the phone was there. We can get there. Then it's up to the attorneys and counsel and everybody else to say, Sarah, were you there in deposition? And you now admit it because now you know we have your phone or whatever it is that there's, there's a lot of story behind the data, right? And it can be really fun to, to tease it out. I mean, because it, you said it earlier, it, it removes a lot of questions of fact. And if we can start doing that more and reducing the questions, either going to the judge or the jury, then we start creating efficiencies in the justice system. And as cliche as it sounds, like we're, we're helping clients resolve matters faster. So instead of it taking three years or on a recent case, eight years, it takes eight weeks. Well, the amount of data is growing so fast and what we're capturing that eventually those questions of did Sarah have the phone in her hand it may be answered at some point. We may have some type of data that that actually answers that question. Right. So two points coming off of that, right? There, on data, you have to understand what a couple of different aspects of data, right? So what is being passively captured by the device that the user is not initiating? What activity is the user initiating? What activity is user input? and what activity is systematic input, right? So if I use an app to clock in and clock out and I don't get the option of designating the time, it uses the phone and uses the phone's GPS and all that, that's a lot different than if I go to an app and I punch in my time and then report it. And understanding that difference versus 
how the data is generated is a critical difference. That if you don't understand that, your analysis can get off really quick. Because when you're analyzing, like we did in a recent case uh, that had a court ruling back in uh, August, 900 million records were was the baseline of production for that case. And so we were analyzing 900 million records for a single case. And that that's not unusual anymore. Um, and so you talk about how many, have you ever had a 900 million record doc or document case? No, and that's interesting because the time frames too, in right. terms of 900 million versus, let's say we have a million documents through just, you know, what we do standard review. What does it look like time frame wise between that structured data set and what we're using for emails? So I think we, we received the data and I may be off a week or two and we had a about seven weeks, seven or eight weeks before I had to issue reports. And did you ever have to go into data further from that? Did you have to go get emails or? No, I never analyzed a single email. I never analyzed any data from emails either. So that case was, from my perspective, 100% on the data itself. And that was multiple data sources? Yeah, again, I'll get the I'll, I'll get the count wrong, but it was like 17 different data streams, 17 or 24 different data streams um, that were from a variety of systems. Some of them the same system, but different kind of data streams, right? Uh, everything from GPS to logs to computer logs to messaging. So we did have some content in there in the structured data because it was coming out of a, a big database, um, and it was it was about in that instance, you know, understanding the data and the reporting from employees and what they said they did when they did it, where they were, how they did it, how they got compensated for it based off of what they said they did, and understanding the data, or trying to anyways in that case. And really you can't apples to apples compare that to just reviewing no, you can't. emails because you also got the narrative out of it. And when we review, a lot of times we're so focused on just getting through the review, but then we have to come back to get that factual. And then you're trying to a human trying to piece things together and build a narrative verse. So there, there, there's a big point right there that is, if you think of the way that we've approached documents traditionally, and this is a discovery thing, this is not e-discovery, this is not structured data, but this is just in general was, I'll get the discovery request or I'll get the subpoena or I'll get the whatever and I'll respond to that based off of the criteria set forth therein, absent objections and all that kind of stuff. But when you take a proactive approach to any of this and say, I got to go find my documents that support my case and my narrative, whether it's content based, right? You're using brain space and you're saying, hey, I want to dive in and I want to understand if this happened or if it didn't. And I want to understand right now, I'm not worried about discovery requests. I'm worried about producing the most impactful, actionable documents I have. Yep. When you take that approach. Very similar, that's what we've done on the structured data, right? Because we're not going to sit there and review record by record. That's that's not even part of the game is, okay, how can I analyze it to understand what happened? Here are the claims. Here are the defenses. How does the data line up with this? What are the data-centric elements within each one of these? Do I prove a claim? Do I disprove a claim? Do I prove a defense? Do I disprove a defense? Line them up and target an analysis as opposed to, let me generally assess the data. You know, let me run some dashboards for you. And that's the big difference is we've developed the approach that allows us to transform the data for analysis so that we can get there faster in, in many respects so that we can analyze it based off of the legal strategy and help 
develop the strategy as opposed to let the data drive it without any kind of direction. And it's interesting because on the side that I generally work on, we're doing the same thing, like you said, with brain space. And we're trying to change the focus from simply just responding and reviewing to true data analysis, really understanding what your documents look like up front and getting to, I, I tell friends, getting to the meat and the bone um, early rather than just kind of playing around, really getting to what's important. So for folks that don't know, Hunter likes to torture the rest of us by running Spartan races. I am trying to <laughs> promote a healthy lifestyle. That involves jumping over tall things and carrying logs and making us do ridiculous and, <laughs> it's good fun and he will slowly drag you into this life um i've done a few myself and yeah so and she did it before she we worked together i did so do for it that. before so I, I can't say that it's total torture but i was ready to hang up my hat and he keeps bringing it back up um he makes you go work out so one of the interesting things that um, Hunter has been doing, and I'm excited to watch this and also to yell at him when he does not train, um, is he has signed up for a trifecta this year with Spartan. And I'll let you explain the trifecta. And we're going to be tracking Hunter's training data and doing some analysis on that. And it will be really fun when he doesn't do what he's supposed to and we get to yell at him. Sarah probably has alerts set up on the page <laughs> that says, do. you know, tell me when something hasn't been posted for more than 48 <laughs> hours and automatic alerts go off and bells and whistles go off. And yeah. So what Sarah's referring to and, and I am challenging a lot of folks to think of data differently, right? So over the last two years, I've kind of fallen, fallen off the training band, bandwagon, if you will. And so I'm trying to get back into it and as a commitment to myself, be uncomfortable and change and try try something new again is I've dramatically upped my commitment to training. And so uh, we've got the Atlanta Sprint, we've got the Asheville Super and the Tahoe Beast, which is 12 to 14 miles with potential snow in September as of last nope. year. And uh, <laughs> so far, we've got three clients committed to it. Uh, with me. I've got two colleagues committed to it with me. I've got, I don't know, seven or eight neighbors and friends and all that kind of stuff. Doing I am not one, one of those colleagues. <laughs> nah. um, but the fun part, as, as you were saying, is I'm going to have all of my data public, my training data public, and we're going to begin analyzing it. So over the next 12 months, I've got you know a series of write-ups that will kind of correlate the, the training aspect and the, the data aspect of things, and we'll post it and It'll all be up on the website and you can follow. And I've, I've challenged people and some have quickly accepted the request of hold me accountable to it. In exchange, though, I'm going to hold you accountable. I was going to say, and, I don't know if yeah. I take the other side of it. Yeah. So and when I go to cities and, and I travel a lot, as you as you know, and I've been better the last couple of weeks of getting up. I got up this morning and I did 100 burpees. So. I think we should post where you're going next, like what city you're visiting. That works. And we could get some folks to, you could have a 5K in whatever city you're visiting. Hey, I have done it at a conference in Chicago. And I was luckily very pregnant and unable <laughs> to participate. No, 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 no. Oh, this, this is how most conversations go. Between the two of them. And this us. has been civilized. It has. It's been quite... I'm very proud of you. And you have stayed in your seat. 
this man cannot sit still when he speaks. No. I don't think I've ever seen you sit in a chair while you were talking. I'm very proud of you. No, in fact, I, I did an interview last week and, and they asked why I wasn't willing to do video. And I said, because I pace while I talk. Sorry. <laughs> Not an option. We um, haven't given you enough coffee today. That's all it is. I gave you a coffee break before this. But I've had five or six cups. so That's not a lot for you. No. I feel like we're on the lower end. You know what? Yeah, i got to pace myself. It's going to be a long week. So I like to wrap these up with just a little fun question. What is your favorite part of e-discovery? Or data. We can go with data, too. I'm thinking about that one. That that's a tough one. I, so as cliche as it may come across, it's really fun when you uncover the story, right? Because it doesn't come out as a magic button. It's not a hey, you hit the button and magically we get this this story and you know all the all all of the pieces come together. But it it truly is fun when you've got a complex scenario. The client's been struggling with it, trying to figure out what it all means, and, and we get to piece it together, and it's it's one of those aha moments. When you have the aha moment on one of those analyses, it's it's fun, and it's, it reminds you why you do it, because none of that information is anywhere in the testimony. It's not in any of the answers, and everybody's saying, I don't know, and we get to say, but we do. So we've, we get to say, we've, we've controlled the data. So now... Let's tell our narrative. And it's fun. Like Hunter it, likes it, to win. It, <laughs> I'm slightly competitive. Slightly competitive. But it, Just but, a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's even in the cases where it's it's not necessarily a favorable analysis, the client's like, good, glad we know that now, rather than in nine months when we've spent umpteen dollars yeah. on you know legal fees and everything else, at least we can make a strategy change. So it, it's it's that ability, I guess, to win with the data. Right. And it's to tell the story with the data. Like, you need to be impactful. And that's always a nice when you put that much work into something to know that you've done more than anyone else could do and have an impact on that process. Yeah, it's we've had we've had some fun projects, to say the least. So I feel like we could go on for hours and hours. Um, I see your coffee. Your coffee cup is quite empty. It is. <laughs> So we will we'll wrap it up and let you, even though it's, it's what, 7 o'clock at night, I'm sure you'll drink two or three more cups. Well, for sure. I got work to do. <laughs> you'll, you'll be up till 2 o'clock in the morning, and we'll all be back here in the morning at 8 a.m. First meeting's at 6, right? Oh, no. Mine's at 8.30. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm, I need I'm to update that sleep. calendar. Nope. I'm getting, I already blocked off the morning. <laughs> it says sleep. <laughs> no, I, I know a guy in IT that can unblock that. Oh, goodness. <laughs> This is the dangerous part of working <laughs> with Hunter. So thank you for taking some time tonight. I know I had the tiniest window in the world to steal you. And I really <laughs> appreciate you letting me steal you. And yeah, I absolutely. trekked all the way up here through a foot of snow. Was it uphill both ways too? It was. Oh, yeah. Yep. We're just going to add that. <laughs> so thank you again. You bet. Thanks for joining us on the ESI Ninja podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and check out our website, www.theesininja.com for more content and our blog. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget, with the ESI Ninja on the loose, data doesn't stand a chance. Stop.